When he got that transplant, it was like I saw my husband become alive. I did. He said, this kid and you were the marriage made in heaven. We can encourage people to be organ donors. It's your decision, you know, but it's something you ought to think about. When they say the gift of life, that's real. That is so real. From Lifeline of Ohio, this is To Be Continued. Stories of life, loss, and legacy a podcast produced in partnership with Westler Media. As soon as Stan and India came into our studio, you could feel the chemistry between them and the love they have for each other. Their mood is infectious, and the ability for them to share Stan's transplant story with such wit and humor is truly admirable. Oftentimes, in the story of transplant recipients, we focus on the person in need of a transplant that we don't recognize the struggle and hardship it puts on their caregiver. In the story of Stan and India Harris, both agree that Stan needing a kidney transplant was harder on India than it was for her husband. They recollect their ordeal as a shared experience and both are stronger because of it. Both Stan and India are now advocates for Lifeline of Ohio, and both of them understand the power of donation. My name is Stanley Harris, and I'm a transplant kidney recipient. I am India Hamilton Harris. I am his wife. We met at the boys' club. The Milo Grogan Boys Club, that's how we originally met. I was um, the tutor there, and I tutored his daughter. It was strictly a parent-tutor relationship. It wasn't even that. Really? really. She was evil. She didn't speak to nobody. She come I in, was not. She just walked straight back, you know, didn't speak to nobody, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I had things going on. When I left the Boys Club, we didn't see each other for quite some time. And then years later, I saw him. I was a night hawk. I, I like to go out. And so I had my own cheers. Everybody knew my name in the bar. He came in the bar and uh, asked for my phone number and I wouldn't give it to him. I made him give me his. He gave me the number and I didn't call it. And then, the, and then I saw him again and he was like, are you gonna use my number? I was 28 years old, I think, when we started dating. We dated for 13 years, and he started going with me to my family reunions. My family fell in love with him the first time, and they really thought he was strange because he was with me in the first place. By the time the reunion was over, they were telling him to bring me back the next year. It's like, come back, Stan, we really like you. Bring her back next year. <laughs> I knew he was in with my family. And it was like, maybe I don't want to take him back. It but the, it, it was the third year when they said And then the third year, <laughs> they wanted to know, are you still with, you still with, with you? her? What's wrong with you? <laughs> By year three, he was stuck with me. We've been talking about marriage, but... I was that person that was never going to do that. That was just not for me. Ten years later, we were going to a family reunion at Myrtle Beach. I called his sister to see if she wanted to go to the family reunion at Myrtle Beach, and her question was, are you all getting married or something? And I was like, well, no, you just go to the family reunion. So I called him. I said, she asked me if we were getting married, and he said, well, we can. And I said, oh, okay and hung up the phone. 
And then my friend at work was sitting on the other side of me in another cubicle. And I get up and I walk over and I told her the conversation and I said, did I just get engaged? And then one thing led to another. We dated for 13 years before (laughs) we got married. As busy as I stay in traveling a lot, I never felt really, really bad, you know. 2008, we, at her uncle's house out in the country, I went out on the grill and I cooked up a couple cases of ribs, a couple cases of chicken. And when I got done, looked at my hands, I was swollen and didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. A few weeks later, she was out of town. I started having some breathing issues. I'm like, okay, something really going on here. But that was Thursday. Friday, I went to work. I had a CPR class. <laughs> a dummy giving another dummy breaths, you know. <laughs> so I was giving, um, I, I took a took the class, and I'm down there on my knees doing first aid on the dummy, and I am really have struggling with it. And I came back home huh. that Friday, and I know something is wrong with him the minute I see him on Friday. So the typical naggy wife, I started going off, and I'm telling him, I've been telling him for like months, something's not right with you. I hear you breathing at night and you're not breathing right. My skin was dark. His skin was just dark. It was rough. And I would just tell him at night, something's wrong with you. And I had been nagging him about that. And so we kind of had a little blow up that Friday. That was Friday. So that Monday, I was on my way to work and something just kept saying, something's wrong with you. Something is really wrong. So on the way to work, this is crazy. On the way to work, I, was, I take 70 West. Traffic backed up, so I got off at Kelton and go cut through the city. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in front of the hospital. I'm um, OSU East. I'm sitting there looking at the hospital like, you know that little thing where you got one on each shoulder? You need to go to the hospital. No, you don't. You all right. <laughs> I get out, to my, get out of my car. The emergency room had moved to the front. I went to the old emergency room. And by the time I walked back to my truck, and now my breathing had gotten really labored. I was able to drive around to the front of the hospital, parking spot right in the door, got out of my car, went in, I'm breathing. Security, he, he rushes me through. The receptionist, she comes out, she's working by herself. She looks at me, she said, this is serious. She puts me in a wheelchair. I'm in the wheelchair, she's sprinting back to the emergency area. She gets me back there, she passes me off to someone else. They put, um, she puts oxygen on me and she said, just hold on, we get some help. And she went to get some help, and I stood up, and boom, that was it. I have this feeling from 8.30 all day, off and on, this feeling that something bad is going on. And I get a call from my daughter, and I answer the phone, and she's asked me if the hospital had called. And I said, no, and she, I was like, what's going on? Dad is in ICU at OSU East, and you need to get to the hospital. When I walk in the room, this person who I don't even recognize, he's so huge and he's swollen so big, and all I see is all these tubes and machines, and then the doctor tells me that he had congestive heart failure, his lungs had collapsed, and his kidneys were completely gone, He's on life support, and we don't know when or if he will ever wake up. 
doctor gives me all the info that's going on, you know, and told me my kidneys were gone, told me, you know, everything he had told her. I still had the tube in my throat, and I was saying words to her. She didn't understand nothing I'm saying. So my daughter would come over and translate to her and tell her what I said. I said, you been here all night? I know my wife. She doesn't function without rest at all. <laughs> I said, you been here all night? She said, yeah. I said, go home. She said, you say go home? <laughs> she said, you say go home? I said, yes. She said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. I left him at the hospital. She He's said, like, she went outside, and there's a ton of people outside. There's tons of people outside. Just so happened that I had two aunts who were having surgery that same morning at the same hospital. I told my daughter and my son, your dad said, go home. And my son said, you going home? <laughs> she said, yeah, he told me to. So she went home to get some rest. Three weeks later, it became a conversation where... <laughs> Um, his kidneys are not going to, you know, because they're not going to ever function again. So he's going to need a transplant. But for now, it's going to be dialysis. The transplant, it was in the back of my mind, but the dialysis thing was, you know, now I've got to have someone on dialysis. That was the selfish part of India coming out because in my mind, it's like we travel, we do these things, we go places. We, you know, we were always doing something and now we get ready to be tethered to a machine. That's just how I felt. And so that's where my head was with it initially until I actually, you know, started to educate myself. We were told... Be four to six years. Yeah, that it would be four to six years. That was the waiting at the time. She signed up to be a donor, and at the time... Uh, yeah, and I was already a donor, so yeah. I was like, well, I'll donate a kidney, but then I'm a diabetic. Then his children... My daughter. My daughter, daughter wanted to sign up. But she, then they have chronic kidney disease. In the family, in so... his family... I'm going to wait it out. You know, we're going to, I'm going to live a normal life for now. We're going to wait it out. I did everything I could waiting, not concentrating on the wait. I went to work at 8 in the morning, got off work at 3.30, went to dialysis, came home, and that was my daily routine, three days a week. Although it was keeping him alive, but I was seeing him getting weaker and weaker because, again, he was going to work, he was coming home, he might every now and then do a catering job or something. We would travel and go places. He was working at church. He was just doing things, but then he's slowing down and he's getting slower and slower. And before where I said his skin was rough, it had started to feel like leather. And I was getting scared. I was just, I just was afraid because it wasn't the same as it had been those three and a half years up to the point where we were. I said, you need to stop work. With me working, we'll do okay without you going to work. And he said, yeah, my doctor told me the same thing Thursday. Y'all been talking? I said, no, but she sees what I see. I said, and dialysis is not doing what it was doing. And you just need to slow down. And he just looked over at me. He said, I hear you, but I'm going to get a kidney soon. That night, the phone rings. She picks it up. 
And she's all, huh, 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 what? <laughs> I, said, I said, give me the phone. It's like one or two o'clock in the morning. You <laughs> I said, give me the phone. So then they said, um, this is the um, transplant center. And how long can you, before you can get here? And I said, um, how long do I have? For us to get that call within hours of him telling me that, that was like, oh my God, I can't believe this phone call is coming from a transplant center. So I'm in this place of excitement. And then it hit me that in order to get this gift, if I'm excited and happy, someone else is sad. This is not a live donor situation here. It was bittersweet. Transplant really went well for me. It did. It went really within well. Four hours of him coming out of recovery, I felt his face, and it felt like a baby's butt. And my my doctors, the, I'm serious. My transplant doctor said, he said, "This kid and you were the marriage made in heaven." I was energized, you know. I know. I, I remember a friend telling me, "Oh, Stan, you look like new money." <laughs> his transplant recovery was like he walked out of the hospital like. The nurse was like, he was up watching. She's like, around. get up. After a couple of days, you know, they transfer us, transfer our rooms, and I'm waiting. She said, come on. I said, well, where's my wheelchair? She said, you don't need no wheelchair. Come on. She said, by the way, you stood and set up. You don't need no wheelchair. Uh, just amazing. The transformation. I'm so laid back. You know, I'm not a warrior. I was confident that the, the, the day was going to come, come. And when it comes, it's going to come. You know, that's just me. I tell everybody the whole situation was way harder on her than it was for me. Because of his personality and who, and nothing seems to shake him like it shakes me. So he balances me. When they say the gift of life, that's real. That is so real. When he got that transplant, I, I, I'm serious. It was like I saw my husband become alive. I did. It's always the little things. You know, people look for big, amazing things. It's the little things like 60-something years old. You run upstairs, you forget something downstairs, you be like, I'll get it later on. I was running up and down the stairs. Oh, I forgot my cup. I run out and get my cup. Oh, I forgot an e-pen. I run back. You know, I just run up and down the steps and just, I just energized. With, with the transplant, everything I do, I do to honor my donor, you know. I try to give back because I did receive that gift and I owe it to that family and to that person to give as much as I can. My, my goal was to live every day that I live to the best. We just want to thank Lifeline of Ohio for the work they do. They do great work, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that as a recipient. I'm saying that as a person that's been educated to what they do and watching the, the hard work that they put in and they just do a lot to save lives. Whatever it is that they need us to do, this is a part of who we are. We have shared our story because in the Black community, there's this myth, this big thing about donation. The myth that if they know you're an organ donor, they're going to let you die. If they see that on your driver's license, they're going to let you die so they can get your organs. I said, they looked at my life driver's license. I said, they saved my life, you know. I said, so that's just a myth. 
we share our story. We can encourage people to be organ donors. How could you not, you know? You never know when it could be you. It could be your family. It's your decision, you know, but it's something you all think about. Once you know better, you should always want to do better. Life itself is a gift that we were given. And once we're gone, if that gift can keep on giving, then I want mine to keep giving. This has been To Be Continued, a podcast from Lifeline of Ohio, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. Production credits to Jessica Peterson and Patrick Klinger from Lifeline of Ohio's public relations team, and Sharon Sindrich, Director of Communications and Public Relations. This series was produced, mixed, and sound designed at the studios of Wessler Media. And while this is the end of the episode, it's not the end of the story. Visit lifelineofohio.org to learn more, or visit the link in the show notes. Because when you register to become an organ, eye, and tissue donor, Your legacy may allow someone else's life to be continued.